any other explanation. Fair enough. Yeah. You, just, you just actually... Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, welcome go. back, everybody, to the second episode of the Intern and the Expert podcast. It's been a, a long wait. We've had a couple of technical difficulties in the pipeline and stuff, All COVID obviously. mishaps. Yes, a lot of COVID mishaps. I had COVID. <laughs> we'll just put that out there and stuff like that, and then everyone's busy. But anyway, we're here now. Um, and as always, I am your intern, Byron Luckhart, and I have my co-host. Co-host is co-host. Susan Duffy. Yep, yep, yep. And our expert today is... Gareth Richardson. So Gareth Richardson <laughs> is a long-term friend of mine and of the channel marketing team, and we're stoked to have you here today. Um, Gareth Richardson is the development manager at Economic Development Queensland, EDQ. You got it. Um, he'll talk us through a realm of his history, but um, we'll touch on him in just a little minute. But um, firstly, if you haven't listened to our first episode, um, you would probably have no idea what this podcast is about. No, so... Um, the intern and the expert is a good opportunity for Byron, who is our intern at Channel Marketing, to yes. bring on some experts like Gareth, um, who are across the property sector, essentially doing different roles. Um, and it's a good opportunity for you to ask any of those wild and woolly questions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hate saying silly. I do but say it's silly. Like, yeah, but, but some of them are. The newbie questions. Yeah. The questions it? that you don't want to ask people and look silly. But um, but a lot of people uh, that are starting in the property industry probably have the same questions. Very true. So today is all about understanding understanding Gareth's journey um, through his career um, and finding out any tips for people who might be thinking about getting into development um, along the way. Yeah. So should there we hand go. over to Gareth to give us a bit of a um, insight into what your current role is? For sure, and uh, and firstly, thank you for for the opportunity, uh, and it's a pleasure to be here. So look forward to, to look forward to our time together. Yeah. Um, so yeah, correct. Economic Development Queensland, uh, being in government, we'll call it EDQ. Love yeah. an acronym in government, yeah. so uh, let's go with that. <laughs> Currently, a development manager, so um, that role uh, sits uh, excitingly within the Department of State Development, Manufacturing, Infrastructure, and Planning. And EDQ is effectively the government's um, property service. Uh, it's a real estate business. It can be a development company, can be a planning authority, can be a regulator. So a really powerful... Jack of uh, all trades. Yeah, really powerful vehicle for government to deliver uh, effectively uh, economic development for Queensland. So as a development manager within that team, the team has multiple functions, but my urban development team is about doing those things typically that the private sector struggle to do mm-hmm. or won't do because of the um, the value propositions or the costs or the constraints. So really interesting projects um, that you won't find in the, I guess, in the private sector typically. And it's about uh, recycling a site, recycling capital, attracting private equity and mm-hmm. private investment and and basically stimulating growth in an area which otherwise wouldn't be stimulated by the private sector. Yeah. I remember you telling me about some of the things you did and I was like, what? That's not a normal development manager's role. And I think is it because some of the projects you work on might have a long-term, um, like, you know, you don't need to get return immediately, that you have a bit more of a longer-term outlook as to the profitability of that project? As such? Yeah, it's a really interesting question because it ultimately comes down to how do you 
uh, define value. Okay, so in a private sector development company, value is typically uh, a derivative of a return on your investment mm-hmm. or the the legacy that you leave or the income generation that you create mm-hmm. as a as a as a passive income stream or as an income or as an asset. So it's a really easy metric and they're they're well understood yeah. by banks, by insurers, by the market. Where we play, it's a little harder to define value. Mm-hmm. For a number of reasons, because um, ultimately we're doing things um, either to stimulate growth and bring forward the investment or even um, clean up another part of government's legacy. So one of my jobs at the moment is redeveloping site, Mm -hmm. which is a three and a half hectare site, superfluous to government land that was abandoned in the 90s, full of contamination. So we went in there thinking we're going to spend roughly on contamination the bill turned into you know overnight and so but but that's government's role in in cleansing that site Mm -hmm. making it development ready and now we're attracting uh about dollars of private sector capital off the back of that government investment so that early heavy lifting whether it be infrastructure whether it be decontamination whether it be whatever it is to make it development ready that then the private sector has the confidence to come and invest in partnership with government. I feel like you government. need a different mindset as a development manager doing what you do. Um, I don't know, core values or something than maybe like a private sector development manager who is, you know, there's just different, I don't know, intrinsic kind of values that you're, yeah. you know. And I've only been with EDQ for, for 12 months, so I'm learning that um, and each project's different. Mm. So um, because of the diversity of our projects, it is hard to create a standard metric yeah. that you would say in a residential subdivision yeah. company or a Profit shopping centre company yeah. or, you know, like those um, standard metrics aren't normal because every project's different. Mm. So we do projects from the Torres Strait through central Queensland uh, right into the heart of Brisbane with, uh, you know, the Gabba, Crossroad Rail, Olympics. There's a whole range of Super diversity cool. in what we do. So it's a pretty exciting time mm. to be in government. Yep. Yeah, wow. I reckon we could do a whole podcast on your role and all the cool stuff you're doing. Yeah. But let's take, let's take it back. Hey, let's take it back, yeah. Let's take it back know all how, the way back. how we got here. What did you start? Where, where, well, what school did you go for starters and how did you kind of... Yeah, yeah, well, we that to... is going back a while. <laughs> yeah, um, we're going back to yeah, we're going back to the roots. We know? can go back to Seventh Avenue, Palm Beach. Um, <laughs> you know, Eleanor Primary School, that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely um, enjoy the Gold Coast. Um, yeah. Schooled here. Um, yeah, Eleanor Primary School. Still got some great mates mm-hmm. from that time. Um, played. Did a lot you of... go for a surf this morning? I didn't this oh. morning. No, oh. it's because I had to get up Where's and do my hair. I had to get do my <laughs> hair and prepare to be on camera today. I took this, you know, really. Exploriate. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, no, I still enjoy surfing with mates from, from primary school at Eleonora. Yeah. Um, went out to Somerset uh, at high school because my dad yeah. was a teacher out there. So, um, went and did that, which was good. Um, and all through, I guess, uh, school, I had an interest in geography, economics, architecture, drawing. Okay. Um, See, that, is that a, uh, yeah, I'm going to, is that a boy thing? Like geography? I don't know. Like how did you get an interest in geogra- geography? Or? I can't relate, um, but you know. I think um, it, probably I'd say it's definitely environmental. So mm. as a family, we'd always go on drives or camp trips or you know, um, grew up early days in New Guinea, so very exposed to uh-huh. other cultures, other countries, 
uh, different environments. So what, I think, what did your dad teach? Uh, he's a, a PE teacher. Okay. So he went to uh, Port Moresby International High School. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we went up there as a, as a rookie, so, which was good. But all that stuff just feeds, yeah. um, feeds your brain. And, and I think it is definitely environmental. Um, but yeah, had a passion for, for cities, places, people. Um, didn't really know how that was going to play out um, through high school. Um, and yeah, ended up through university in Brisbane, um, doing a bachelor built environment. Hang on, hang on. That's too, that's gone too quick. (laughs) (laughs) So you're interested in geography and then, so did you guys go to the same school? No, No, I actually went to the rival school, All Saints. Ah, there you go. The rivals, nah, not real rivals. I actually got heaps of mates from Somerset, but that's always kind of like rugby's the biggest sport at All Saints and Somerset. And it's always like, oh. yeah. So when I went to school, um, they had like a career day or something where like people came in and explained what different, you know, business degree or, you know, our, at school, or we, at, at my school, you could either do business. I think it was nursing and teaching. Like there were the three things. So for me, like the fact that you jumped into a degree and whatever seems so foreign, it wasn't even even talked about at our school like Mm. how did you know you wanted to do that did you have a guidance counselor like or work you know how did that all fold out yeah good good question I um I guess um with the combination of those things um went through grade 10 with the guidance counselor uh you get to pick work experience which uh, was a thing um that's good at school like yeah yeah so uh I signed myself up for surveying thinking that that was like outdoor adventure you know doing some work (laughs) out in the field so ticking a few boxes Um, what's surveying for those that don't know surveying is is basically um it's it's all off the basis of property and um and the measurement of of land Land. effectively uh and so surveying uh allows people to draw up boundaries and measure what they own and put pegs in the ground so people know where they live and where they don't live and depth of lots yeah all of that stuff yeah really important really important um and i i probably um pretty nervously uh just went off to to work experience and found out that i think it was um february or march in the middle of jacob's well cane fields um <laughs> either like you know holding a staff out in the cane field i was either going to get bitten by a snake or run over by a sand quarry truck and trying to do maths at the same time i was thinking this is not really for me um so i actually Stop have it. to thank the guidance counselor for exposing me early to yeah. a career that i didn't want to follow um and right. well, we point, love our surveyors <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah love surveyors um I actually, yeah, so deciding I didn't want to do maths in the sun for a career, <laughs> I, um, I then went back to the guidance counsellor and asked if I could do work experience in something else. Um, given that <laughs> the end of school, given that for. the end of school was kind of coming Moving. closer, I needed to fill out some forms to go to university <laughs> right. if I was good, successful enough yeah. and needing to know what that might be. Um, and actually it had an influential, um, I guess you could say mentor, but um, he was a, a significant uh, person in my upbringing at Scouts. Yeah. Uh, he was a Scoutmaster at Palm Beach. Uh, he also happened to be the head uh, town planner of Albertshire Council, which was uh-huh. pre-Gold Coast City Council. And and he knew Where that... Where Albertshire boundaries go it was, from? It was being... Do you even know, remember Albertshire? No, no. Yeah, <laughs> so Albertshire was the, I guess, the, the country shire behind the Gold Coast. So it used to be Gold Coast, which was basically the high-rise strip uh-huh. and a few canals. And then Albertshire was the same tweed heads to 
Beenleigh, but uh, ran out to Springbrook and, yeah, right. and all of the area that's now the hinterland. So he was the town planner um, and he said, look, um, I think you should have a look at uh, town planning and uh, and I actually, um, I'm the guy you need to come and see. So come and do some town planning experience, work experience with Albert Shire Council. Yeah. So yeah. Was that paid or not? No, no, no. It was, it was a couple of weeks unpaid through school. Okay. And um, yeah, interestingly, found myself at Albert Shire Council, uh, really opened my eyes up to what town planning could be. And the role of cities and growth and development, and uh, yeah, filled out my forms to do uh, bachelor built environment at QUT, and yeah, right. and then ended up doing a, a masters in town planning off the back of that. So, if you're, um, I guess, a youngster in school and you're wanting to do town planning, what sort of core subjects did you need to have to do that? Um, uh, I'd say. Um, you know, geography, geography was key. Economics was key. Uh, I enjoyed design. Um, yeah. So um, I did graphics, yeah. um, which has gone into sort of uh, mm-hmm. more technology-based stuff now. But it was a it was a drawing subject effectively, um, architecturally based. I did art, really enjoyed art, yeah. um, maths, basics, English. Um, so it's a pretty broad degree planning. So you can specialise um, and, you know, come from anywhere. I think you probably just need to have uh, a passion for for cities, yeah. passion for growth, um, understanding people and places, and and what makes places special, and and why certain things play out in, in different ways, and being, I guess, um, a little bit um, inquisitive about mm. about the why, That's and definitely and, you, yeah, definitely, and and so being interested in that, and then the town planning stuff, you know, that's the technical stuff that falls off the back of that, okay. Yep. So, so he was at town planning, you were at a doing work experience and then did your degree at the same time? Yeah, no, so I did undergrad uh, full-time, so okay. moved to Brizzy, lived with my grandparents. Ah. Um, yeah, so that was great. That was straight out of school. Straight out of school, okay. yeah. Um, so moved to Brizzy um, and then off the back of that undergraduate degree, um, mid-90s was a, a huge recession in Australia, yeah. so recession we had to have. There was no jobs for town planners, so you couldn't, you know, get the Saturday paper and look under T town planning and go, "Yep, that one's for me." So I ended up pulling beers at the Crumbinara cell for a while and uh, and working with a mates, uh, one of Dad's mates uh, in his architecture firm, uh, and I happened to fall into uh, a job interview with um, a local civil engineer, mm-hmm. uh, engineering practice, uh, Morton's Urban Solutions. Now they. Uh, interestingly, Warren used to work with the Scoutmaster, uh-huh. um, Dave Arbon, and and so the connections started to come together. And, and anyway, they gave me the job. It was a civil engineering firm with a little bit of town planning. So uh, again, totally new to me um, yeah. and not what you read about in the books at university, but I was working full-time in this firm and doing my master's part-time. Okay. So, yeah. so your undergrad was in built environment, did you say? Yeah. And that made you a certified or just a town planner? It was, it was, a, it was a bachelor degree. Bachelor so degree, it was a generalist. Yeah. So we were in there with architects, surveyors, interior designers, uh, landscape architects mm-hmm. and town planners. So okay. you, we all kind of um, were studying similar stuff but had our specialties, yeah. So town planners, if, can you dumb it down for us and, and tell us what does a town planner do? That's a yeah. good question. I was just letting him go Roll. ahead with it, but I'm like, <laughs> I'd like to hear as well. Because, well, you see, like, engineers, town planner, like, you know, 
I don't know. But you just yeah. you drive around the streets and go, oh, it's good streets, you know, good place to live. But you have no idea about how who does it. How yeah. Like how that. does it all come together and who makes the decisions? You know, is that 100%. a town planner? Um, I don't know. How does it all work? Yeah, good questions because uh, I guess town planning's core function is to manage growth. Um, and so it's right. about um, managing. Population growth. Well, yeah, managing yeah. and planning for those changes. Now, in Australia, where we are, we're in a growth economy. So we're planning for growth, the mm-hmm. population growth that comes with then infrastructure requirements, whether it be schools, hospitals, police, roads, open space, parks, f- places for people to live. So all of those things are the product of us growing. Mm-hmm. And so planning in this country is all about, you know, planning for that growth. growth. And so growing up on the Gold Coast, it's very much about change and uh, evolution of high population growth and needing to deal and accommodate with high population yeah. growth. So planning has a really key role in being ahead of what's happening now and forecasting to accommodate that growth. So what are the thing what are the decisions we need to make today to accommodate the growth that's occurring in the future? And what are those little incremental changes that we need to assess and determine is that appropriate mm-hmm. so that it fits within that broader plan for the city? So is that right. things and this, these are silly questions probably but from my side is that stuff like dictating to developers or you know people that you know we need this many hospitals in this area or this many libraries and you know, this type of product, um, you know, housing product or units or part, like, does it get to that level of detail? Yeah, all yeah. of that. And, and in really simple terms, there's a strategic side of town planning. Yeah. So that would be like the policy setting and the, the, the higher order planning. So mm-hmm. really on a citywide scale or yeah. on a Southeast Queensland wide scale, like in a region, sort of saying, okay, where are the hospitals going? Where are the services? Where are the housing? Where are people living? Um, but right down to then development assessment, okay. which is, uh, okay. Small um, master plan. Well, no, within a, within a particular um, street, say, mm-hmm. when someone wants to build a unit development, what's the size of that unit development? What's the, how many car parks do we need? How does it going to um, respect the neighbourhood as it currently is? Yeah. But how does it fit within how it's going to be planned? And that's the piece that... Super um, cool, like pretty yeah. important role. Yeah, so the, the decisions that, that people make are really at that front end strategic mm-hmm. side of things in policy setting and setting the future vision and future plan and then on an incremental basis assessing development applications and development as to whether it complements and furthers that plan and if it if it doesn't then there's often a whole range of decisions that have to occur and some of those include the community and some of them don't yeah yeah okay now um so you finished your undergrad then you're pouring beers because there weren't many jobs and then you decided to do your master's that we got to uh, yeah well so my undergraduate degree was just a bachelor yeah. so to be certified you'd needed that postgraduate qualification Mm -hmm. so ultimately it was needing to be done I just I did struggle with the concept of being called a master having never worked (laughs) in the field so I I just struggled with that I struggled with that so I I really I I valued that um, kind of uh, full-time work and living the the profession and then coupled with the theory and doing the study at the same time also paid the bills it helps (laughs) it does help So did you do, so then did you go and find a job? Yeah, so, um, well, my first job um, actually 
uh, in between starting full time, I did the four months in Mackay as a student planner. Yeah, so because um, there was no jobs around, uh, and that was paid or unpaid? No, this was paid. Okay. Yeah, but it was like a student secondment for four months in Mackay, uh, right. and it was to backfill effectively their planning team yeah, right. during holidays and stuff. So yeah, it was it was it was a great experience. So went up there, worked through Christmas um, for a couple of months. Was that with Morton's? No. No, no, Mackay City, Council. City Council. Yeah. Council. Council. Yeah. So this was before I started yeah, okay. you know, kind of full time. This yeah. was a, a kind of between undergrad and Gosh, between Mackay's my masters. Changed now. You've got friends in Mackay. Yeah, yeah. Mackay's changed. Uh, interestingly, um, yeah, did some great stuff up there. Um, worked with some really, um, you know, interesting people and saw a whole different world to what I was used to here on the Gold Coast. So, mm. um, but I guess, um, you know, every place is different and getting into that kind of local story and understanding what's important to their, them as a community didn't matter that I was from the coast. I could still, you know, yeah. learn a bit and contribute. So, yeah, it was good. And when you finished your undergrad, did you go, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do? Like um, was there a particular field that you wanted to switch into or, you know, once you finished the degree, what were, you, what were your thoughts? I, it's, um, I think I'm really lucky in that um, I've been able to follow this profession through and I've changed roles and, well, um, you know, from planning now, I'm a, a property developer yeah. effectively, but it's all within the same sector. Sphere, yeah. um, and and I'm really lucky that I guess having that early passion for it has continued with mm. me and the roles have changed and, and how I've operated, whether I'm working for an authority, for yeah. a council, for a consultancy or a developer. Um, it, it's just all within the same sector for me. So I guess I'm really lucky, maybe one of the few that kind of started on that work experience journey through uni, first jobs to now still be loving what I do. So your first full-time job was with Morton's? Yes. Okay. They're good. They're still great, aren't they? Great. Yeah. Great Gold Coast Morton's. company. Morton's a company. Yeah. Well, Morton's is a company on the Gold Coast. Are they just planning or do they do also? No, civil engineering. Civil engineering. Yeah, civil yeah. engineering. Yeah. So, um, and planning. So yeah, Gold Coast company doing a whole How'd range of stuff. How'd you go? Doing full-time, full-time hours? Uh struggled a little oh, bit to start so with, bad. like just with the not being able to surf at the right time <laughs> when, right. you know, having to, you know, surf on the weekends when everyone else was <laughs> surfing, I guess. And, um, you know, student night Were was... Were they still in Southport then? And Narang. Narang. Yeah, yeah. Narang. So yeah. yeah, they're in Southport now, but yeah, still great guys, still yeah. catch up with them. Um, and probably, yeah, those formative years, um, have at the time shaped me and allowed me to go on and become a developer mm -hmm. and a land developer, um, which I think, you know, understanding the civil engineering side of property allowed me to move into that kind of Stockland land development business. Because civil um, engineering is a, a degree in itself, isn't it? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you were just exposed to that through your time at Morton's. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So they're a civil yeah. engineering oh, firm uh, predominantly. So really got an awareness. And I think... Um, they they sort of like an intern took me on and showed me a lot more than what I kind of thought I needed to yeah. know. They took me on the journey of this is what the company does and here's all the other stuff that you know land development is about, not just the town planning part. So yeah, that was right. that was good. Cool. Mm. Then what happened? Well, uh, what did happen? I finished my master. No, I didn't finish my masters. Actually, I got my certification, finished my masters thesis. What was your masters in? 
town planning. Okay. Okay. But I did my thesis in renewable energy, actually. So the land use That's implications. That's where your green thumb comes from. Yeah. So I did. Um, so yeah, 25 <laughs> years ago, I did a, a piece on the land use implications of renewable energy okay. and looked at wind farm development. Wow. Yeah. So this oh, was before. Us about this. Yeah. So this was before there was a wind farm in Australia or even a, a turbine that was generating, uh, you know, more than domestic power. Yeah. And uh, and I did my. Um, did my dissertation or the masters, uh, really enjoyed it. And it kind of sparked, uh, because of the case study work I was doing elsewhere, uh, British Wind Energy was one of my case studies, which was um, southwest of England. So um, having gap, missed, yeah. yeah, well, having missed out on a, a visa for Canada, because oh, um, right. <laughs> like my flatmate and oh, I, did, right. my flatmate and I didn't kind of get our shit together in time to m- get the quota. To Old get Burley to Road flatmate. Yeah, yeah, uh, still a good mate of mine, and um, and it meant I still wanted to go, um, and so England was the next choice. So flipped from wanting to be in Vancouver to um, moving to the UK. So uh, that's how I ended up in the UK for a couple of years, and and it was specifically chasing that kind of British wind energy exposure. Um, so you, did you have a job that you were going to? No, no, no. And it was at a time when if you're only allowed to go as a backpacker, you weren't allowed to go as a professional. Oh, right. And if you got found out working in your profession, you were out. Oh, so really? I had to, um, I put a shirt and tie in my backpack, but it, like couldn't carry a resume that was proving that I was going to work as a professional or wanted to. Uh, I certainly wasn't professional, but, you know, had an intention. Um, so, no, you weren't allowed to actually at the time work as a planner um, uh, for visa purposes. I was yeah. a backpacker, traveller, effectively. But that, that changed and loosened up while I was there. So, so you, what, how old were you then? Uh, 21. 21. Yeah. So you've got, a, you've got work experience under your belt. You've got your undergrad. You've got some full-time experience. Yeah. Um, you kind of know where you want to go and then you went up, oh, I'm going to have a break. Yeah. 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 So I, I didn't take a gap year, I guess, after school or mm-hmm. anything. I just rolled straight through, um, pulled some beers for six months in between undergrad and master's yeah. um, and worked in Mackay for a bit. But no, it was pretty full on doing a, you know, doing the full-time work yeah. and master's study. Yeah, so that's pretty hectic. And so I was done at that point. Um, and so getting overseas was a good thing for me. And uh, probably through uh, a connection that my dad had through a, a footy tour, um, rugby school came out from the UK they came here, um, played at Somerset, and one of their coaches from Somerset wouldn't go out for dinner with them. They were putting on dinner at Oscars on the yeah. beach at Burley, and I was a poor uni student. Dad said, do you want to come and fill in and, and come for dinner with these English coaches? And I said, who's paying? And he said, they are. And I said, brilliant, <laughs> I'm in. So uh, came, to Oscars, came, came to Oscars <laughs> and had a great night with these coaches from the UK, and they and they'd said, look, if, you, if you're coming to England, look us up. Um, yeah, we'd, love cool. to, we'd love to catch up. And so I got to the UK and I was in London. I was blowing black shit out of my nose after five days. And I just thought this place is not for me. Um, and so I looked up uh, the teachers from Plymouth. Um, which is down you in the didn't southwest. Like the city life. That's is that what you mean by black? Uh, no, no. I just I don't know. I, yeah, didn't fall on my feet. Let's okay. say, um, or maybe I. Have didn't. you been overseas for a gap year? Or you were going to well, go through COVID? Year, hey, uh, or something. Sorry. Were you going to go to UK? For oh yeah, yeah. COVID? I was gonna um, just go for a gap year over with oh, yeah. my uncle. 
Okay. But it might still happen. Never yeah. know. We'll yeah, see. highly recommend it. Um, and having going, ha- having went as a professional, um, I guess that opened up in the next two years for mm. me, which was great. So, where's Plymouth? Plymouth? Down in the southwest, Plymouth. southwest of England. Mm-hmm. So that's where the wind farms were. Ah. So I went. Awesome. I'm going to go see these guys. I can maybe get an introduction to British Wind Energy and everything will be happy. Got down there, pissing with rain. British Wind Energy's head office is nowhere near this school. <laughs> anyway, so they happened to have a job. They said, look, we need a resident tutor here. Um, someone like you, um, we can give you board and lodging. You've got to look after 100 lads twice a week. <laughs> oh, and um, do you want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, no worries. Cool. Because that means I got food, I got a flat yeah, and I can chill here for a little while and just recalibrate and work out where I'm going to be. And how old were the boys you were looking after? Uh, they were 10 through to 17. Oh yeah. yeah. And this is probably where having dad as a school teacher, yeah, I kind of yeah. understood schools. I understood kind yeah. of all that stuff. And so I've enjoyed education and, um, and being a part of all of that. Yeah. So, and not being a teacher is great because, um, you can kind of be that mentor, yeah. kind of um, yeah. not father figure, but you're kind of like the the guy who's Guiding responsible, but, but not with not them and not have to be all. Like, I'm not the housemaster, yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. Um, so that was great. So did that, and um, yeah, kind of um, landed in Plymouth, and thought I'm just going to play guitar, read some books, cool go for bushwalks, hang out for a while, do this, and just see Live where I go. Life. That lasted about two weeks, and I'm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That lasted about two weeks and I was like, I got to get my shit together here. <laughs> and, um, and so the council, it was a bit like, it's a, it's one of the largest cities in the UK, big council. I thought I'm going to go down and see if there's a job in the planning department. Pretty naive of me. I just rock up. Actually, it was through the school. There was a, a contact they gave me, guidance counselor at school. Yeah. I went and saw him. I said, can you link me in with the, with the council? You? Yeah. And so at he's. At the place where you were working. At school. school yeah. And so he said, um, he said, actually, one of the kids at school who played rugby, his dad's the head town planner. Oh, my God. And so I'm like, yes. cool. Can you sort of, can you give me his details? I rang him up. He came in for a, um, he said, come in for a chat. So I came in and saw him and he said, That's look. How it works. And he said, look, um, we've just done a restructure. I haven't got any positions for you, but great you're here. I know you're here. Uh, if I can help you, I'll let you know. And I was like, no dramas, no obligations. But because... I don't fully appreciate how you work and how you operate in UK system of planning. Can I do a bit of work experience so that if a job comes up here or anywhere, I kind of know a little bit more about what's going on. Yeah. He said, yeah, fine, no dramas. Um, come in tomorrow um, and you can, oh, he paired me up with the transport planning team because I think he thought that they were, um, had a bit more so. exciting stuff on okay. or they had a bit more work on and, and uh, anyway, I did. And so so were ne- you doing the job at the school and this? Yeah, but the job okay. at the school was two nights a week. Okay. So it was like a Tuesday night from three till midnight and then every Saturday from three till midnight. Okay. So it was a bit of time. Yeah, plenty of time. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, saw him next day, rocked back in with a shirt and tie on that I bought at some charity shop corduroy around the corner. Jacket? No, no corduroy jacket. Oh, but, the boys um, are both in corduroy, isn't they? Oh, love a bit of cord. And... And anyway, I started chatting and got on really well with the transport planning manager. And he said, um, oh, we need someone like you. Um, I've got a job for you. And so started on contract. 
and was there for two years working in transport planning and development assessment. So, um, and on contract. So it meant I could work for two or three weeks and then piss off to Europe for a while and come back and. So let's pick that apart because I feel like that's the turning moment. Yeah. Well, not turning moment, but that is something, that skill of, you know, what you did there where you just walked in is kind of, I feel what a lot of people may be in this era or like of your age. I can't even say I would. (laughs) Well, you kind of did it a little bit, but. Well, sort of. So what's, what, what do you think? I would be like just going there. Why is that? Not expecting. I don't know. Maybe it's. I don't know. I'd just, I'd probably just try and look for stuff that's actually available. Available, yeah. See, I reckon, um, I, I reckon I learned some lessons really early because it was the recession, right? So there weren't jobs in the paper. Mm. There was mm. no, like, the jobs that I expected to be advertised just weren't there. Yeah. yeah. So from day one, I've had to find every job that I've wanted. So I've created the pathway as opposed to sit there and apply yeah. through traditional measures. And I think, having to do that through that recession is kind of then built that kind of, oh, well, you just create your own pathways mm, and you yeah. make your own career from an early stage. And yeah. so at, 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 you know, um, at that point when I got my first job, it was being aware and being open to what might be, mm. but having the confidence to ask permission mm. is the, is the thing. It's no difference to a sales transaction. Yeah. Like, at some point you have to ask permission yeah. and ask for someone's business or yeah. ask for for your permission to turn up. And so yeah. it is a big step to actually find the right person who's got the delegation to say yes yeah. and then ask them the question, um, would you mind if? And also be willing to do it for nothing. Yeah. Is, do you think you had, because I've, it's taken me a long time to, I guess, not be in sales because I'm not really in sales, but to have the confidence to kind of ask for the work or like you said, you know, and a lot of it came down for me just being confident in the fact that I have something to offer that these people need in return, right? So yeah. it's not, I'm not begging for your work. For I'm sure. offering you something that as a client you really need. Um, but that can take time of confidence. But do you think that you did have something that you could offer them when you were asking for the nah. work experience? No, I was desperate. Was, I was yes, like, right. I was, I was like, I needed to be paid here and that's I needed right. a career. But that then also is the ultimate driver, right? Yeah. So for me, I was completely motivated to further my career, mm-hmm. not pull beers in the pub like yeah. everyone else was doing. I wanted to, you know, use the time to grow from an experience perspective. So what was really driving you that was, was it really driving you that you really, you knew what you wanted to do yeah. and yeah. you just wanted you're ambitious. You well, I think to the get... difference for me was if I'd had a gap year when I'd left school, I would have been pulling beers and I would have seen the world differently yeah. to having gone through university and studied and done a whole range of like kind of different mm. stuff, which maybe um, narrowed my focus about what it was I was really yeah. interested in. And I actually understood myself a little bit more about what I was passionate about. And then going overseas became an extension of both of those things. It was like, here's the shit that I want to see. And here's the stuff I want to learn about. Mm-hmm. And the two kind of drive yeah. you, I guess, in terms of your path that you take. But not being too fixed about anything. Like mm-hmm. we also used to joke, what's planning? And it's like, well, plans are for building houses. Kind of like, and I'm the worst. I never knew what I was doing the next day <laughs> or the next week. But I guess, um, and actually that's a funny story. When I came back from the UK, um, I did actually apply, again, from the UK, 
I knew my visa was finished and yeah. I rang Gold Coast City Council and I said, I want to come and work for you because I'd worked as a consultant yes. for Sunland, for Stockland, mm-hmm. for Nifsan, done the developer client side of stuff and I needed to, for my career. When you were at Morton's, yeah. When I was at Morton's, for my career, having experienced councils in the UK, mm-hmm. I needed to understand councils here yeah. and work within a council to then, you know, for my ex- experience. So... I rang Jim Webb, who uh, he was the he was the head town planner, How if you like, um, through my through Morton's okay. when I was when I was sitting on the other side of the table. I knew who the right guy was, yep. so that's the key: is working out who's got the permission to say yes. Yeah. And I knew yeah, he was the guy. Out. I knew that he was the guy that controlled staffing. Mm-hmm. So I, I rang I rang Jim and I said, "I'm in the UK. You probably don't remember me, um, but I'd love to come back and work." Um, I haven't seen any jobs advertised. I don't quite understand. I've been in the UK for a couple of years. Um, I land next Wednesday. Can I come and catch up with you when I when I arrive? And he said, we're actually trying to recruit a temporary position at the moment. Send me your resume. Oh, we'll, interv- you telling we'll, we'll interview you um, the next day. And so I land on the Wednesday. I'm like sleeping on a mate's floor in Broadbeach, <laughs> literally back from overseas with nothing. Not had, even a tan, you know. You have a tan. No, no, terrible. And so um, I had hair though. <laughs> That's why <laughs> right. you got the job. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, shirt, tie, often harangue for an interview. And and I can remember the last question, which is the classic government question. Uh, so, Gareth, where do you see yourself in five years' time? <laughs> and And I was like... Mate, I don't even know where I'm going to be like. <laughs> I don't I don't even know where I'm going to be next week. But I, what I can tell you is I really want this job and I would yeah. love to work with the council and learn what it is you do and how you do it. Where I see myself in five years' time, mate, I cannot answer that question right now. <laughs> and I left and I didn't realise that anyway, I got the job. And, I, and years later, talking to the HR lady who was in the interview and Jim, who was the boss, they both cracked up at the end of the interview and were like, that's the most honest answer yeah. we've ever had to who, that question. Like, uh, I'm sure I've answered that so wanky before. Like, where are you going to be in five years? Try and give them that wanky. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be yeah, here working this. for you. It, I mean, it's a really good question, but it's a really hard question to answer. Yeah. And I think that for me, the right answer was, that yeah like yeah. know what you want to do but keep yourself open to opportunity mm. and so you and i another one you don't know what you don't know right so yeah. how do you know where you want to be in five years time because yeah where you, what you learn and what you experience along the way will shape and change where you're going to end mm. up anyway so yeah. you're always going to be somewhere different i guess it's having that forward and strategic view will help you make those decisions along the way think your honesty with yourself has been the main key that's kind of helped you with everything and even with that mm. interview just yeah because you keep it real yeah keep it real yeah which is good which is great yeah and, and i still do that now I, yeah you know, the no, way 100%. i run my business now um the way i run our team um yeah i'd say very um genuine very yeah. honest in a, in, a, in a leadership style or in the way i do business so you want to you know share your success and yeah. share your loss and 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 Take everyone on the ride. And the people you want to work with and stuff like that will appreciate that as well, Mm. which is always great. You know, you don't want to be trying to do something that you're not. Humanise it all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you spend so much time at work. You want to. Exactly. If you're trying to fake it, it's hard work. (laughs) You know, if you're at work, you want to be genuine. You want to be real and enjoy what you do. Yeah. 
Mm. I agree on your other point that you made earlier where you were saying that, um, you know, this day and age people are so used to seek.com and, you know, so many of those platforms where jobs are listed and the kids just go to the website and apply for jobs. But there's this, we didn't have that then. I mean, we had papers. I Mm. think Victoria Mount had it. But, um, but so back then we had to seek things out. Like I remember walking the streets of my town and just literally like introducing myself. Um, that's how I got my first job. But yeah, now it's like, okay, here it is on a platter. And so kids get into, when I say kids, it's not kids, but you know, your age, yeah, yeah, get into yeah. the mindset that, oh, well, if it was available, it would be on the platform. But there's so many jobs that aren't even thought of, exactly. you know, yet like when you came to us, like I didn't know, I wasn't about to advertise for an intern or your role wasn't at being advertised. Like you've got to make the opportunities happen. And I've learned that as well, like networking really and Gareth's living proof of it sort of with people like, you know, you had the people in the UK that Mm. could help you that way and then move across to that. And then when you came back, you knew who was running that part of the Gold Coast Council and stuff. But like, even I've learned that, like networking and knowing people really Being can get genuine. you a long way. Yeah, like there's networking and then there's, you know, with every touch that you have with someone that's in your field, having a genuine interest about what they're doing. Yeah. Hmm. And I think that's where you're different. Like, you know, you'll whatever, whoever you're working with, you genuinely want to understand what drives them. And, and so the conversation you have with that person is is strong enough that you can then call them and go, oh, remember we were talking, you know, and then I don't know. I think there's, yeah. There's, and people remember it. Yeah, mm. I agree. Than the person that's tried to put on an act. Yeah. To, you know. Yeah, I agree. No, I think the, you, you're spot on the, um, you know, and, and being um, confident enough to value what you can offer mm. like in a sales and marketing yeah. space or even yeah. just in a professional service, whatever it may be, any trade doesn't matter. So who's matter. the confident one you, out of your mum and dad? Where did you get this from? Where did you get that trait? Um, I, I think it's, it's a whole range of people, you know, I've been lucky enough to um, have fantastic parents, um, but living with my grandfather, yeah. like he, he was, um, he was a good, a great man yeah. and, and just watching him and hearing his stories um, yeah, everyone around me really. And then learning business too. Mm-hmm. So mum and dad, you know, gave me a whole framework of, of values and, uh, interests and, and, and a really safe platform, but yeah. then yeah. kind of knowing who to rely on and lean on in different scenarios. So a whole range of yeah. significant people I'd say mm-hmm. that shape that it's not just one person. Yeah. All right. Well, we, we'll probably be here all day, but let's get to. No, so where have we where have we gotten to? So you come back. You're at council. Is that where you met Cole Dutton? No. So no. Cole's role um, before he joined Stockland was the I, I guess the head engineer subdivision engineer at Gold Coast City Council, Council. but knew Cole from Currumbin Surf Club. Ah, So grew up down that part of the world. More networking. Yeah. Yeah, So actually, you know, knew Cole Cole both sides of the table. Yeah. Um, And so he left Gold Coast Council just as I'd started. And um, he then went on to Stockland and I kind of moved up in council to that similar role that Uh Cole had sort of running the subdivision section of council. And Cole um, asked me, actually, no, I was, I was actually working on a couple of big projects for um, Hope Island at the time. And the developers at Hope Island were trying to do some new urbanist oh, development great. and some stuff that is is really well done in Perth. And I remember having... Fish? 
John Fish yep. at the time, and I was having a big Barney with them over kind of some of the principles that they were sort of espousing and things that I knew from what I'd seen overseas, which ultimately they'd copied from to deliver yeah. in Perth anyway. Anyway, so I put it on my boss and I said, I can't negotiate with these guys because I haven't seen their point of reference. Mm, Send me to good. Perth. I'll need to have a look at what they're talking about. I'll come back and it'll be, you know, we'll find that happy medium and I'll be able to negotiate on behalf of the city in a far better scenario so we can have that point of reference. Anyway, um, I wasn't too impressed with what Stockland were doing at the time. Mm -hmm. It was pretty standard stuff. Uh, Cole had asked me to work for, for Stockland. Yeah. I said no. Um, however, went to Perth and saw some of the amazing kind of stuff that they were doing. Stockland were doing. Stockland were yeah. doing. And I came back and never negotiated anything with John Fish, but um, rang Cole up and said we need to have a beer at the surf club and uh, on the back of a coaster basically signed me up to, to join Stockland. Cool. So, um, yeah, again, just an opportunity that presented itself. So you were inspired by the diversity of whatever Stockland were doing in WA and yeah. it kind of lifted your thoughts of... What else was possible? Yeah, yeah definitely. And, and probably being... I, I did find that I was... You know, if I was to reflect on where I was at at the time, I was probably a bit narrow focused yeah. on what was happening in my bubble yeah. and getting out of that and seeing what else was possible mm. and being open to change and, you know, and not being so narrow on, on my views uh, assisted me to, to make that change. So, yeah, came back, resigned and, and started with Stockland pretty much the year before the global financial crisis. So, <laughs> so what, 2007. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And what role was it at? Uh, it was in a, yeah, it was in a, um, so I was a planning and design manager. So effectively a service to the development business. Okay. So kind yeah. of working with acquisition, working with the development managers in delivery. Working with council. And then working with councils, <laughs> right. working with the builders to, to design product to fit on our land and working with sales in negotiating those contracts. So it was a really diverse role, mm. um, but gave me my first real insight into a, um, a listed property company mm -hmm. uh, and what that kind of offers and, and what drives them and then two uh, into property development uh, yeah. specifically so yeah so yeah. that role because I met you a few couple of years later I think you were still doing that role maybe or a version of it mm. um, I remember you know you kind of have in, in that sort of business, you have development managers, marketing and sales, and then kind of planning design is like this, you know, everyone, like this fluffy kind of area where, you know, people don't make fun, but it's like, oh, what are you doing here, you know? But I just uh, went to a couple of meetings with Gareth um, where I fully understood what was happening. So, you know, your ability to kind of, and I always think this is your trait, um, but obviously it's a trait of the role as well, you know, your understanding of council's requirements of what they're trying to get out of things, then you have to balance that with what Stockland is trying to get out of things. You know, those metrics we talked earlier about, well, it's got to be profitable, blah, blah, blah. and then your, your role is essentially to try and mesh those two together to provide an outcome that's, you know, win-win. Yeah. A win-win scenario. And projects don't happen unless that occurs at the beginning. Right. So it's a critical role um, and I think, you know, really is, yeah, one of, to me, it's at the top of the process and then everything kind of rolls out from there. Um, is that what you, like reflecting on kind of your role when you were at Stockland, does, do you felt like, um, does that sum up kind of what that role does? Yeah, it's a, it was a really diverse role, but similarly, um, Cole was very open with me. He yeah. said, 
this is a new role. Mm. Um, there's a need. Yeah. Um, but you're going to need to make this yeah, okay. your own. And I can't. He's so, the, what were KPI like? What would have been like? How would you have measured your performance on that sort of role? Yeah, it was it was kind of um, a role that had uh, probably three core functions. Yeah. First one was working with the acquisitions team. Yeah. So working with them about investment risk mm-hmm. and where to buy, what was right. the timeframes associated with the assumptions that they were putting mm-hmm. into their commercial models. Mm-hmm. So how long is it going to take us to get this to approval? Get how much stuff. is it going to cost? Are we going to end up in court? What's the what's the risk profile cool. around this project? So yeah. working with them, so the commercial managers in acquisitions, shaping up those kind of parameters for yeah. buying because you make your money not when you sell something, it's really about when you buy and how you buy. So yeah. really important, yeah. like selling stuff actualizes the profit, yeah. but upfront is where you either make or break yeah. largely a project. Um, and then it's about managing that on the way through. So acquisitions and then secondly with the development managers about um, implementing the projects and yeah. working on the projects. And then thirdly, um, working with the sales and builders and customers um, to make sure that what we'd set out initially as a vision yeah. and as a project was actually being delivered on the ground for our customers and mums and dads with houses and builders and the like. And so, keeping abreast of how things are changing, right? So Absolutely. And I thought it, I was probably one of the lucky ones because I had a full end-to-end mm. customer experience for a project. So right at the front end, who are these people where are they coming from what's our vision for this project right through to actually sitting in kind of builders sales offices um, drafting plans with them and then through to covenant approval and uh, and building so it was um yeah it was it was a good offer that cole gave me um but i'd probably say you know he's one of those guys that you that has shaped my career and the way he thought about things um his leadership style and leadership skills like Council's not the place or government typically for great leaders. Um, mm. And I didn't really know that at all at the time. Uh, and and so I guess what I learned at Stockland was was not just around property, property development, uh, the planning, design, and ultimately development management stuff. That's that's pretty universal as a skill set, but it was that leadership space and the the people space that uh, I really enjoyed yeah. uh, and learnt a hell of a lot and probably shaped me most today. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Cole, Cole Dutton's a good egg. Yeah. We like him. Um, so your role then at Stockies. So can you give us an example of maybe, you know, when a market has shifted and, you know, they were selling X sort of stock um, and where, you know, you've had to go, hang on a minute, you know, it looks like things are changing and you've had to kind of, go back and design, redesign and work with the team to execute that? Yeah. So the, um, you know, in terms of the um, 20 years plus I've been in the sector, I've learned most through that global financial period where business just changed overnight or stopped. Now, when it didn't stop, it stopped for us in the markets that we were playing in. There's still a market there in delivering housing it just wasn't the market that we were geared for and so overnight we needed to shift our business and find that new market and it's not easy for property to change quickly because there's approval constraints Mm. there's then um, delivery constraints and so you can't just one day say I'm selling 800 square meter lots and then overnight I'm selling 250 square meter lots 
because they're the first home buyers that can a get money, uh, b need a house, mm-hmm. and and so you're active in that. Because upgraders then were ceased. Absolutely. Were ceased. So the the established market froze. No one was upscaling or upsizing at the time, which was our market. Yeah. Um, so we had to change overnight, and so that was a fascinating process because I think we all suspected. Um, it was changing, but it literally happened one day we turned up after Christmas and there were no inquiries, no customers. And it's we crazy. literally sat around the boardroom and we're like, what are we going to do? do? <laughs> and you did have a few in the development business going, well, I've got my pipeline approved already and I'm, I've let these contracts. It's like, what's the point of building that stuff, mate? Because no one's buying it. Mm. But, I, but So if you just look at your role in the business as production, yeah, that's fine. But as a business, it's a pointless exercise mm. building the wrong product. And so, then there's two things. There's like the delays of changing plans through council. So there's the opportunity cost of like, yeah. have we got enough time to make this change or do we just pause that particular development front and bring on another development front that had yeah. a different product offer? So I really enjoyed that time of change and the ability to go back to first principles Mm -hmm. again. So, you know, midway through projects, actually going back to the start and saying, who are our customers? Where are they coming from? We should be doing that all the time, right? Absolutely. But I think when you're in a good market, you get a bit fat and lazy and you just kind of, you don't have the, the, um, the need. Mm -hmm. Um, and not saying you shouldn't be doing it, but because you can sell anything, people just continue to do what they do and so they don't question what they're doing or maybe maybe they're leaving more margin on the table yeah, by not doing it or right. there's a better market somewhere else or there's more competitors in that market because everyone else wants a piece of the pie so you need to shift so i think i've enjoyed most that period of change yeah. and reshaping master plan communities that had you know 15 20 year visions that you had to then go and introduce new products mm-hmm. or new development fronts or, or change the way we were operating to and continue to make money convey to a customer that they actually want to buy a 300 square meter block that was that was the interesting part so we were back in the day delivering you know 600 square meter plus as the standard lot Mm -hmm. size four or five bedroom homes and everyone was borrowing six hundred thousand dollars that was the standard market at the time that we were playing to that was 80 percent of our profit in that particular market segment and and overnight those upgraders disappeared so having to change back to um investor builders, um, first home buyers, mm-hmm. a whole range of different customers that we'd never spoken to much before and learning their language and what is it that drives them and how do we market to Such those a particular size things. seismic shift for that business huge, too. It was a huge shift and, and we had to make some pretty hard decisions that you drive around now and I can spot I can spot <laughs> the streets, I can spot the, the product, I can spot the moments in time mm-hmm. when these decisions were made and you know, you can look back and reflect on that and, um, and they had to be made because, you know, being a listed property company, we, we'd, we had to deliver yeah. on the forecast margin yeah. at the time. Mm-hmm. So we had to shift the business to continue to deliver, which is fantastic. Whereas, you know, um, maybe say some government sector work or small privates can afford to either keep doing it because it's, they need to do it for other reasons or stop. We couldn't afford to stop. So we had to change, which, yeah. was, which was really a blessing. 
Yeah. I think that's, I mean, that is what I love about property. It's just not, you know, you're not doing the same thing every day, you know, and thank God for that because it'd be boring. But, you know, you've got market fluctuations. You've got so many things that can ebb and flow. Um, and I I find the same passion in the same area, you know, being able to go, okay, let's review what's going on and go, well, actually, we could target these people, get a bit more money. And, you know, yeah, I think that's the same sort of thing that I love. Yeah, cool. so it's interesting where we are right now. I get the feeling that we're in a very similar position where housing you know. affordability is a real problem. There's real pressures. There's market constraints. Things are tightening, um, but we still need to build houses. Yeah. Um, and and how do we find a way? Because just putting up the price um, isn't going to so, isn't going to resolve anything. This is fun. So crystal balling. <laughs> what about the intern? We, no, no. He's I like, was going to say that. We need like, a question I'm here. Actually, well, I'm so like, I'm just trying to take it all in and I'm like engulfed in this conversation and I'm loving it to be honest with you. I'm like, I don't even need to be like talking. I'm happy with it. Well, I'm good. And he's explaining it well too. So yeah. like, I'm not really thinking of like, what was he? I'm not, I haven't really lost track. Well, make much. sure you butt in and if you do lose down, track. Um, pretty well. So, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy with this. <laughs> I'm going to pick your brain. So, to me, like going into the, the – I can't talk with these silly retainers in my mouth. Anyway, the election, <laughs> um, you know, obviously we're going – we can start to see that first-time buyers have priced out. There's, you know, prices have gone up so much. And let's just look at Queensland as an example. Prices have gone up so much. Um, there's no real, you know, incentives that are kind of driving any sort of affordability. Builder constraints are kind of crazy – um, you know, should the upgraders start to calm down, you know, and they don't start selling their homes, you know, how are these first, it's not like we can then go, okay, well, 300 square meter blocks, let's cut to this 150 square meter block. Like where does the innovation, where is the innovation going to come from? You know, and it, is it just more regional areas? Like first and buyers are just having to push out, which means we need more infrastructure. Like what is the lever that we can pull? I mean, I've seen labor's incentives, but you know, I just don't feel like it's it's going to be enough of a needle mover to kind of get that first home buyer kind of going again and sell more houses. Like, I don't know. Yeah, well, it's um, I guess there's one thing that's true is like the housing market is such a complex matrix, okay? So it's not one thing. Yeah. Um, it's a combination of things, but we all have a role in accepting that we've got a problem. Yeah. So the first thing is like accepting we've got a problem. Yeah. And, and I think those in the sector knew we had a problem long before the election. Yeah. It's just now that it's really starting to play out and hit mums and dads and everyone's talking about yeah. housing affordability mm -hmm. again. There's always housing affordability issues because it's relative, mm -hmm. okay? But I think there's some things that will change um, as, the, as the focus comes on housing affordability. Uh, supply is a big issue. Um, how we build houses mm -hmm. uh, is another one. So Material. All of that. Process, so, um, yeah. you know, there'll be technological advances in how we build houses mm. and things will change uh, over time. So in that, but but there's other things like um, allowing uh, shared ownership yeah. arrangements and, and, uh, and also long dated leasing mm -hmm. and other parts of the market which financial will change. Financial kind of. Financial changes. Yeah. So if you look at the problem, through the same lens, nothing's going to change quickly. Yeah. But I think there's opportunities to innovate and change a whole range of things in the So in the where matrix. does that come from though? Like I feel like, I do honestly feel like for the last, I don't know, six or so months, everyone's just kind of like, oh, like, you know, 
putting their blindfold on and just, yeah. you know, things are still good, but they're tapering off. Oh, you know, yeah, but yeah. who, I mean, I guess that's like property councils and so forth. You know, is it at that level where all those different thinkers are coming together? Like how does that, how do we drive that change or the conversation to change? Mm, it, well, I guess it's a shared problem. Mm. So it, the conversations need to be had by those peak bodies. So property council, urban development institute, um, but even down to progress associations and social and community housing providers. Yeah. What's really interesting this time, which is different to the GFC, is you're seeing it play out with homelessness yeah. and marginalised housing. And so <laughs> it's going to grow as a problem because it's not just people who are upgraders who can't yeah, get a yeah. house and can't it's borrow people, a million yeah, bucks. 100%. It's actually housing that's critically needed. And this is the fundamental shift what do we need versus what do we what want? want yeah. And I think the GFC taught us that. Like we, we actually stopped building massive houses yeah. in the GFC and we haven't really recovered. So the standard, the, the, the house size that we're building has come back substantially. Land Definitely. size has come back substantially. So some of those wants have changed through the GFC. And I think COVID has, again, it's another shock. So mm -hmm. global financial crisis, massive shock to what we need versus what we want. And I think COVID is a similar shock to again, remind us of what we actually need versus yeah. what we want. And I think being deliberate about there are some fundamental needs and shelter is one of those. Mm. How do we provide that for all is actually a right in Australia. Yeah. And I think looking at it a bit more about what we need, we'll start to shift some of the policy decisions mm -hmm. and some of the, you know, planning uh, yeah. requirements and other matters to get people in speed safe yeah. housing accommodation basic I definitely feel, real basic I might, stuff maybe it's because i'm getting older or maybe just i know a lot more than what i did but this probably feels like the first year where i've my eyes have opened far more in that you know homelessness or just you know not even homelessness but just people that i know um you know mums of the kids at school who are renting where they've been on this sweet rent, you know, $300 a week for a certain period of time. And then all of a sudden they've sold the house. It's doubled like, and that has, mm. they can't afford it. Like it's not even homeless people. It's just, mm. you know, so I do feel, you know, there's, and there's awesome players like BHC and stuff that we, we both kind of work with that do a good job, but I feel like, I don't know, needs to happen faster. <laughs> yeah. I think, it. I think that is the sector that will change most. So okay. you'll see not us building more public or social housing, you'll see more shared ownership yep. models and shared equity models coming in and you'll see big investors That's starting. That's a question. What's a shared equity model? Oh, yeah. Well, a shared equity model is <laughs> it's not <laughs> that different to what you do with the mum and dad. So yep. mum and dad have some cash, goes into a block of land in a house, the bank put the other bit in and uh -huh. that's how you own the, mm. the house. So yep. a shared equity model is, is what typically happens in most home ownership. Mum and dad put some money in bank puts the rest in, yeah. you've got the outcome. And do you have to pay the bank back? Or? Of course you do. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Gotcha. Um, I mean, not, the, not after sold, I mean, like, are you trying to pay them back slowly to get 100% ownership of it or are you oh, saying as in? A, it's a very complex question. Okay. Some people, right. yeah, let's just say in simple terms, yes, mum and dad buy a house, they take a 40-year loan, they mm -hmm. want to pay it off in 40 years. So when they retire, they're debt-free. That's the yeah, yeah. simple answer. Um, what it would mean though, is rather than having say a bank who are going to charge you maybe a higher interest rate, there might be someone else who comes in and owns mm -hmm. part of that house. Okay. Now, mums and dads do this for kids all the time. They play guarantor yeah. or they'll spot you some cash that you have to pay back over time. Mm -hmm. 
But what we're seeing is institutional investors are now wanting to play in the residential space, yeah, which right. typically they haven't before. So in Australia, the majority of the rental pool is with small mum and dad investors. And so as a result, people buy and sell and make decisions that affect them but it doesn't do anything for the poor tenant. Mm. So as you start getting institutional investors coming in, so you have basically asset grade accommodation, Mm -hmm. it then means people could rent in a building or in a house knowing it's not going to be sold overnight because it's actually... Build to rent models and things like that. Exactly. So our models will continue to evolve and we're in that pioneering phase where there's some new products coming out, build to rent, those sort of things, uh, and they will continue to evolve. And I think the policy levers will move to allow more of it to happen. There's a lot of barriers at the moment to entry, um, but there's a willingness from capital to play in the residential sector than ever before. So it's exciting. I think there'll be some change. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then obviously you have gone, you went from um, Stockies to where you are now. Is that right? Yes. How long were you at Stockies for? Ah, uh, about 11 years. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and sort of moved from the planning and design space through to development manager and senior development manager mm-hmm. and went kind of from the land business into the built form business. So oh, yeah, retirement retired. living, right. building childcare centers, medical centers, that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, did that, which was nice. Um, and moved sideways into state development and planning for yeah. a little while for a couple of years, just to get me closer to home and closer to the kids and all that More stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, but that was good, like put me back in government again um, and through um, being within the department, working out where I wanted to be back in, you know, property development yeah. again, uh, EDQ came about and uh, and I said that um, I, I'm a development manager and they said, what are you doing working in planning? And I said, exactly, get me back <laughs> in, get, get me back into property. And so, yeah, I'm lucky enough to be yeah, back in back in as a development manager um, with some amazing projects. Mm. Nice. Full circle feels like. A little bit. Gathering all your bits and yeah. along the way. Always so learning. Back as the, yeah. It's gone away. It was funny because it, so, well, yeah. it was probably, I was out of planning for <laughs> over 10 years and then I needed the change and took the job managing the state development planning office that had 12 staff. And I remember walking in the first day as manager of this team and I was like, I really don't like town planning anymore and I don't understand what you all do <laughs> anymore. And they all looked at me and were like, great, great who, high, that one. I was like, who is this guy? Like, how did you even get the job, man? <laughs> and, uh, but in all sense, um, it was a really disarming way of, I guess, empowering the team mm. and mm-hmm. trusting what they do, working with them to be the best that they could be and not micromanaging anything and getting too involved, actually managing the office. And this is the people leadership stuff that I learned yeah. through Stockland, whereas, you know, I don't see that around yeah. in government. And, and so I think moving in your career to experience a whole range of different sectors and workplaces is the only way to go because yeah. – um, you, you, you learn from all of those and it shapes who you are. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I try and whilst I'm within government, I definitely, you know, try and remind myself um, of what are those good qualities in, in sort of private. Yeah, mm-hmm. leadership in, in private sector practice to keep you fit and keep you nimble and, um, and respect, you know, what you need to in government. It's, it's very different mm-hmm. um, in terms of accountabilities to, to the parliament and to the taxpayer. So, you know, you can't shy away from that stuff either. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we probably are wrapping up soon. Yeah. Um, I reckon you got some more intern questions for me. Yeah, because really, Susan's kind of I, Susan's just like catching up old school here. Like, no, soon we'll be rolling out a marketing I mean, plan and uh, setting a vision, <laughs> setting a vision for a new project. A I mean, end of the day, it's just no. I'm like, it's good just listening and kind of seeing how you started from to where you got to now and stuff like that. I don't really have too many questions per se. I think you've explained what it about tips? well and it's kind of top five tips well i was gonna five. yeah that was gonna be my wrap up is like but i think we kind of got the answer i was gonna well i was gonna ask you what would you tell to someone that's about like 21 or just out of school sort of that wants to maybe do what you do or do something else in the in the property, property sector. sector but i think the answer would be perseverance is key sort of but like, cause that just kind of, it goes to show that you knew what you wanted sort of, but you just kind of kept going and you didn't really take no for an answer. You're like, all right, well, I'm going to find a way and here you are. So, yeah. but what do you, what do you reckon? Well, I think, um, you know, um, being lucky enough or fortunate enough to be in a sector that I've continued to have a passion yeah. for, I think the other stuff it falls into place. So yeah. I've always had that willingness to um to be in the property sector the built environment sector i've loved you know growth and cities and change and and everything that it can offer so you know being putting yourself in that wheelhouse of where you want to be in the first place working that out is is key but then um and also being honest with yourself about maybe i shouldn't be here and changing yeah. you know i've i've had some of those conversations with staff of mine along the way is like you know is this really where you want to be because life's too short to sit here and yeah. just take a paycheck because, mm. you know, you've got to be, um, in my view, you've got to get more out of work than just a paycheck. Yeah. And I certainly have. So I've been lucky with that. Um, but I think um, a willingness to change and evolve and continue to learn and that's being open to opportunity um, and acknowledging when you need to change, like just calling it and being like, right, you know, I'm getting a bit bored here or yeah. I'm not learning or I'm not challenging myself and, and having that stuck here forever. Having that willingness to, you know, just throw the the kind of, you know, the brown cardigan out, the comfort blanket and go and um, test yourself and, and get a bit street smart and a bit yeah. match fit and go and um, have a go. And yeah. I've always probably been open to that. You're yeah, so nice. open to, you know, I think not um, thinking that you know everything certainly don't know everything yeah. <laughs> fact, but also being open to doing it a different way like you know that that point where you went to wa to look at the townhouse product or whatever it was that fish wanted to do at hope island you know that'd be that a lot of people wouldn't do that they wouldn't go to their council you know their cushy council kind of role hmm. um and say hey can you fly me here so i can help a develop you know help understand what a develop, developer wants like hmm. that's not normal <laughs> well not normal from my experience so I think that ability, one of the things that I think you do that you might not be aware of is, yeah, just having an open mind to change and not yeah. being afraid of it and stuck in the four walls of, of yeah. what you've always done, um, which probably ties into, you know, town planning, growth, like yeah, that maybe. ability to want to, you know, always look But forward. I think it goes back to your first question about what's town planning and it's about managing change. Mm. Mm. So if if I've got a, a willingness to understand what that means, yeah. that then puts me in a really great position to negotiate a property deal. Because mm. ultimately, 
everything's a negotiation mm. and everyone's selling something, you know. And so for me, trying to sell an approval, trying to sell a project, trying to work on a small deal or a big deal, having that willingness to listen and understand what's driving the person that you're negotiating with and having that kind of that core communication yeah. and core com- um, negotiation skill, I reckon is pretty important. Yeah. Mm. I'm pretty but lucky the, to work or to live in a place where there is change and growth. You yeah. know, like there's a lot of countries and cities around the world that aren't growing. Well, that was the, that was a big shock for me yeah. coming from here where we were building, you know, thousands of houses on every hill that was rolling west of the Gold Coast versus and high rises going up to then going to the the um, the UK and Plymouth where their their population was in fact, in decline, and there was big poverty, big mm. kind of urban rege- renewal um, projects trying to lift the social capital in certain areas and, and being a, a real problem. Uh, and I, it was it was eye-opening for me because mm. I hadn't seen that here on the Gold Coast because yeah. it's such a new city, yeah. young city, a lot yeah. of growth, a lot of um, optimism as opposed to a city in decline where industries were shutting down and and there was no jobs and, and no future for some people as mm. they saw it. So, yeah, not a great outlook. And and for me, working in that place, it was just like, wow, this is so different. Good insight. What about mentors? Top, maybe you top. Three? Yeah, I think I think the key there is the way you put it is mentors. I don't think mm-hmm. you should ever get too carried away uh, or rusted on to one particular view. Yeah, um, yeah. You definitely want to take on insights from mm-hmm. a range of people because everyone's got different experiences and will offer you different insights. Yeah. And so um, you definitely want to surround yourself with good people. Um, and I think because um, I had, you know, mum and dad being in a different space to where I was professionally, it forced me needing to have Fine, those significant is, yeah. mentors. And I've been lucky enough, I still check in, you know, with my first boss um, Morton's, uh, and I still check in with Dave Arbon. He still surfs mm-hmm. at the alley. Uh, still check in with a couple of significant uh, people now. You know the likes of Cole Dutton mm-hmm. and others that have shaped me along mm-hmm. the way. And and I think you hold on to your mentors if they're good. Um, they'll grow with you and they'll share your success. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, um, that's stuff that you've got to take the time to invest in. And it goes yeah. both ways. Don't assume that they're not getting just as much out that's of it true. as you are. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and it and can become a one track mind can be a real friendship yeah. like in terms of that shared um collegiate growth they want to see the best out of um, good people as well so mm. yeah definitely i think but you've got to earn the right um you can't just expect yeah, yeah cool and what about any um associations or anything that um the youngsters can get into that might help them or any groups that you would recommend or anything like that yeah there's some great networks and groups out there and i think social media um and digital media has connected people Mm. more than ever before so whilst we used to have like a, a student social group um or a you know an industry sector group and that were your bunch of mates now that's kind of gone global you know you're connected through a whole range of different networks um so definitely definitely work with those um face to face um we're in the people business so make sure you invest in those relationships um and so definitely how to drink beer no not at all <laughs> not at all no no it's everyone's got their own vices but you know um i enjoy a beer definitely um and what type of beer any all variations <laughs> are good but that was my first job right so um knock off 
Warren shut the office at 4.30 every Friday afternoon and put on a carton of beer and a plate of cheese and some wine. And so we came Australian. To, but we came That's, together as an office. We came together as an office and we talked yeah. and we shared and we grew those bonds yeah. that you don't get because everyone's running hard, everyone's doing their own thing, everyone's working. And for me to, as a graduate, I'm like, yeah, cool, two free beers. Like that. <laughs> but, but I like the honesty. <laughs> but I kind of I, I learned to then really value that. That's the only time I ever spoke to my boss. Yeah. Was yeah, over a couple of beers because I never saw him. Well, he was, Cole, Cole and like they did that at yeah. Stockies at Observatory. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I don't know, about f- four o'clock on a Friday. Yeah. We'd, yeah. All We'd stop around. and have a beer together. And, yeah. you know, um, I just think those little things that you pick yeah. up on, I really value that stuff. And, mm-hmm. and whether it's a coffee in the morning or what, it's just time. Um, and so creating those rituals with mm. people. And um, I think your question was around networks. Uh, if you're in property, UDIA and PCA are really established networks. So that's mm-hmm. the Property Council of Australia and the Urban Development Institute of Australia. They have kind of structured mentoring mm-hmm. programs and stuff. Yes, if you're a structured person or if, you've, if you're scared, um, there's a pathway there. Just turn up, like introduce yourself, get talking to people, you know, fund yourself to get somewhere. They offer student prices. Uh, they offer discounts for people who are, who are new and they'll they'll – introduce you to the right people yeah. and, and make sure they're putting you with people that you um, ultimately will strike a conversation up with. And so, yeah. you know, you've got to be present and you've got to put yourself in those situations to, to take the benefit of it. So definitely engage at that level. Um, universities do have networks and the like, but um, those professional bodies is probably the place to start. That's good. Cool. Anything else you want to share? I'd say in closing, um, it's such a collegiate sector. Like it's such a fun sector mm. to work in. And yeah. I've made some great friends. Uh, Susan's one of those. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I, I just think, uh, and my wife mm-hmm. through property. Tiff? and was that yeah. through property? Yeah. Oh, so um, you kind of, um, but then a lot of mates and and doesn't matter who you're working for or what you're doing, there, there is this kind of collegiate small network it's a quite a small sector mm. um so really fun uh, everyone works hard but it is a collegiate sector and i, I do enjoy the people side of the business yeah. it yeah. is good you always know that you like your job when you have to do the travel up to brisbane and you go right who am i going to call now i'll call gareth and only mike stone i'll normally call him or I'll call and they're all in the property sector so you kind of know it's a good place to work when you mm. want to talk to people outside of work so it's good yeah. So thanks for the opportunity. Right. Any definitely... tips on who we should? We're, we're I know you're there. always like, get out of your comfort zone, Susan. Don't talk to people you already know. <laughs> so any tips that um, for next guests, yeah, you reckon? Yes. Or know. maybe a field, a particular field. So we've, we've done, oh yeah, town planning, kind of. I mean, we're, I think we're just going to have to see who's up for the job, really. Yeah. Brainstorm a little bit. No, I reckon um, like property is such a broad sector you've got an amazing opportunity to connect in. And yeah. I, yeah. I think it'd be good to get like a contractor in here, okay. like a um, like oh, yeah. a civil consultant. Like yeah, so right. we've got some great ones on the coast, like Alders are good. Yeah. Uh Southeast Excavation. Totally. Um <laughs> Southeast Excavations, yeah. they're they're based tweed, they're massive, they're growing, um, they're doing some big stuff at the moment. And they employ huge workforce um, as civil contractors. Then you've got builders, um, some massive builders on the coast, really interesting time for builders. Mm. So I reckon, um, you know, maybe a builder. um, And when I'm talking about a builder, like the guys that sweat 
the subbies bills yeah. and run the company and, okay. and and dealing with the current crunch mm. that's happening right now. Yeah, that would so be interesting. So it'd be really interesting because they're probably, they've got Perfect a lot, times, yeah. they've got a lot yeah. of worry, a lot of worry I reckon right now. So um, they probably have a few stories to share. So yeah, yeah. a builder I reckon it'd be good. Yeah. Um, a architect's always fun. Everyone wants to be an architect, don't they? Have to bring yeah. Caleb in maybe for that. Everyone wants. Yeah. To, everyone <laughs> wants be, to be. be you know, everyone wants to draw. Everyone wants to be an architect yeah. when they're little. I, I mean, so. I even thought there was a small period of time when I thought architecture might be somewhere I wanted to go. Didn't yeah. go for design for two years and well, it's wasn't not. very good at it though. So I was like, yeah, maybe not. But you're yeah. of an age where you can still do that. Like, yeah, you know, definitely. if that's definitely. something you want. So it's things yeah. like this where you, you just got to try different stuff, talk to different people. And and maybe sure. maybe bring a hater in, like get someone from a community activist group in, <laughs> like go the other side. I don't mind that. Let them let have a Yeah, that's have true. A and <laughs> oh, get my all gosh. Stuff out. <laughs> You'll have That'd to be, be our, our co-co-host. Can I come? Yeah. <laughs> Sure but you do like you need to negotiate yeah. and you need to understand what's driving them, yeah. where they're coming yeah. from yeah. you know when you're putting marketing material out and you're selling a message into a community and digital media digital media <laughs> digital media gives everyone a yeah. voice right so you want to understand where they're yeah. coming from what they're saying how do you engage mm. um so that could be fun that'd be yeah. fun i like it all right all right you're gonna wrap think, us up i think we're how long we've we been running for hour and a half hour 40 <laughs> Something like that. You want to crunch this, mate, and make it like 20 minutes. Where can hey, you find... Well, I'm going to start sniffing it up. Just with an axe. <laughs> bang. Just bang. Cuts. <laughs> no, why, we'll, why don't you wrap we'll it up? Whole thing. You've the cool. Spiel. I mean, I don't... Yeah, I don't think I have much yeah. else to ask. Surely you have really. some, like, closing Find quick. us on Facebook. I do. I do, definitely. But I'm just trying to think if there's anything else we need to ask him. But I think we're good. I think we're good. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, um... Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you've listened all the way to the end, let's <laughs> see who has. Um, we would appreciate any likes and subscribes on YouTube if you're listening on that or on Spotify. If you're listening, maybe share it with someone that you think might want to listen in about this. And um, also follow us on our socials, Instagram, Facebook, just at Channel Marketing or Channel Marketing Group. You'll find us pretty easily. Um, maybe if they've got future questions for our guests, we'll start to. Yeah. This one we were being like secret, secret of who who the guest is. Yeah, we. But maybe next time we might um, tell them who it is, and then people can submit their questions beforehand or something like that. Yeah, maybe that's a bad idea. Yeah. Well, we thought we did think with you, and you know, you've got some students and stuff like that, or you know, people in younger people that you know, you maybe you could ask them and let them listen to us, maybe or send yeah, them sure. our way, and then. They might have some questions or something. Yeah. We'll easy. see. Cool. We'll see. I like that Alrighty. idea, flipping, yeah. it, flipping it around. Yeah, I think so. It's all about networking, it is. like we said. Thanks for coming in, G. Yeah, thanks, G. Oh, G-Bang. I got G-Bang in right at the end. <laughs> yes, you didn't say that Chip will be proud. <laughs> all right. All righty. That's Wrapped. a wrap. <laughs> Good job. Good job. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was a lot cheers, of cheers, cheers. cheers. Can you cheers, cheers with water? I don't think oh, you can. Oh, why not? We'll go have a beer. Yeah. yeah. That was fun.